Hey, well, good morning. Man, we got a lot of great stuff to go through, but I just want to highlight this. It just keeps looking more and more like home around here. Isn't that true? I mean, we're finally getting some lights in here. We're starting to get uh, the sound dialed in. We're starting to get a bunch of different things. Uh, we had a tremendous move team that not only moved on Friday and moved on Saturday, but they're moving today. So all of you that are volunteering, huge deal to us. We can't thank you enough. Um, and it is sure moving forward. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but I would love to just kind of settle in and hear what God has for us. So can you take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part 14 of our God Meets World series through the book of Ecclesiastes line by line. And, and can you imagine we're almost at the end? So we're about to wrap up the world's most depressing book. Praise the Lord. But however, I hope it has been a blessing to you. I've learned a ton. There's every week I walk into the passage going, what in the world does this mean? And then I got to go research it and learn and all that, and then bring it out to you. But we only have a couple more parts and then it's going to wrap up completely. And we will be shifting into a brand new series. So I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. I'm going to just tell it to you right off the bat. And then I want to make some comments about it. It is this who we truly are will become known. Who we truly are will become known. If we are not good throughout People are going to know about it. For some of us, that's terrifying. There's a reason why we've been hiding it in the first place. We're trying to avoid them knowing certain things about us. But for others of us, this will come as an encouragement. So let me tell you both the positive and the negative side of this. I just need you to know that if we are consistent, then ultimately everyone's going to find out the truth, good or bad. Let's talk about the, the good for a moment. There are some of us here that feel like people do not fully understand us and we have a disrupted reputation. There are some of us that we have tried to convince other people that we are not as they think we are and we've grown frustrated with it because they're not listening to us. Maybe you came here just to hear that God's good at reputation restoration. Maybe some of us need to allow the Lord to be good at our PR work and that he will fix it because as you are consistent through time, they have to correct their view. There are others of us that need to be put on warning. And the warning is, you will be outed. If there is something going on and you're pretending or deceiving or you're just trying to put on a mask for everyone, you can only hold that for so long because either you're going to accidentally out yourself Your friends are going to out you. The enemy will out you in order to cause division or God will out you to bring it to light. So who we truly are will become known. If there is not a level of soundness or integrity. Now, here's what I need you to hear from me. What we are not looking for, especially in this church, is perfect people. If you are a perfect person, you're hiding something. 
right? Because those don't exist. What we are looking for is broken real people. You understand what I'm saying? So I I don't think that we should have a paranoia of, oh no, people are going to find out that I'm broken. No, we're all very clear on that. You don't have to hide your imperfections. It's whether or not your heart is good. That's really what I think we need to be put on warning about. If our heart is good or, or how we make decisions or the control room of our mind or, or what is deep down within us, that stuff's going to get known. And if you're a bad guy, if you're a bad lady, we're going to find out because you can't constantly hide that, right? Somehow we're going to know. So I think that's really what the author is trying to get to. Would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 10? Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. We're going to go through the entire passage, uh, the entire chapter together, but rather quickly. It begins with the most beautiful of poetry that I suggest you put in a card for someone else. It begins like this. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. All right. Now there's a visual for you. Okay. Let me, let me, let me read back through it and tell you kind of what it means. Dead flies, which are small bad things, right? Dead flies are not good for anybody. Even spiders are like, ew, I don't want that because they want to catch a live fly and make it dead. They don't want just a dead fly. If you drop that in the web, he's like, what am I supposed to do with that? Right? Nobody likes dead fly. When little bad things fall into something that is expensive and valuable and beautiful and all that, it will give off a stench. It wrecks the whole process. He said in the same way, a little bit of foolishness messes up wisdom and honor. You could have this beautiful reputation. You could be known as a great man or a great woman of God. And unfortunately, a little bit of foolishness can really hijack the entire process. Now, I grew up in the era of scandal. Right? Like I grew up in the, the 80s and the beginning of the 90s where scandal actually made the front page. Nowadays it doesn't even make Yahoo for a day, right? If everybody's so used to scandal, it's not a scandal anymore. But before then, it was kind of like, whoa, this leader messed up. And it was either in the church or it was in the White House or it was in the, the famous people or it was with the athletes, whatever it was. But when so, they would do something bad, it was like, wham, it would hit the front page. And I, and I think that as a youngster, I think that I, I went, like everybody else, I, I had that shock kind of, oh, I thought they were something else, and I had that disappointment. When I got into leadership, I had a different take on all of it. Here's what I ended up having. I ended up having sadness when a scandal breaks, and here's why. So let's say it's a church leader. I need church leaders to help promote the word of God. I need church leaders to be out there and telling people to live differently. I need church leaders to be out there and say that there is a higher calling for those of us who call ourselves children of God. I need all of that. And what makes me so sad is when they screw up in one area, it washes everything else off. And that drives me crazy. 
I, I understand. We always want to kind of have this one view. Oh, either they're good guys or bad guys. The problem is everybody is both hero and monster at the same time. But but what ends up happening and what makes me so frustrated is just because they're an idiot in one area doesn't mean everything else they did is not accurate. You understand what I mean? But then we just go, oh, well, I'm no longer listening to you. They may have had 90% truth and 90% benefit, but they screwed up royally. And so we write them all off. That as a leader is frustrating to me. I get it. I know why you do it. I know why I would be tempted to do it. But what I'm trying to tell you is to me, it's a loss for the kingdom. Not only do we look stupid to the world, but we also all hurt. We all lose ground. And then everybody doesn't trust everybody else. The whole thing's a loss. And so I feel like the author was going, yeah, I know. That's why it bugs me so much. You go, but I'm doing everything else right. I I, I understand that. Human nature tends to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Human nature is the idea of either you're this or you're that. Now, God knows the distinctions. But just know people don't. And so if we go, well, you know what? That's not a big deal. I, I can do whatever I want. And I'm And I'm going to be cocky about it. And I'm going to be deceptive. And I'm going to be hit... Somebody's going to out you. And then it's going to wreck all the good stuff you did. And that's a bummer. He, he said, he said, well, l- let me go one step deeper here. Verse two and three. A wise man's heart. And in a biblical context, heart is like your mind. It's the control room of your mind and the control room of your life. What you believe, what you think, that's what you will do. I've been doing some writing on my second book and I have all these deadlines due and it's all about ordering our inner life. It's all about ordering our minds and our hearts and alignment with God. And as I'm going through this, it's why in all that research we created the year of identity because identity is that core from which we're making all of our decisions. The battle needs to be fought in our minds. The battle needs to be fought in our hearts. The battle needs to be fought in our identity and then that takes care of all the other stuff. So I I wanted to write on that. So he said, a wise man's center inclines him to the right, where in that culture that was wise counsel and power. But a fool's heart will lean to the left side, which is the opposite, which is ignorance and foolishness. Even when a fool walks on the road of life, which should be easy, He lacks sense. He still doesn't get it. And then he says to everyone by his actions that he is a fool. What's the author trying to say? He's trying to say that our decision making comes from a deep place. And if that is askew, everything is askew. But let me make a a, a quick note in order to make it personal for us. And, and, I, and I know that there are some young people here with us, and so, and I mean really little, so if I don't want to offend them, so I'm going to, it's just the dictionary usage, to you it may be a bad word, so let me be very clear. I'll, I'll just say it this way. Uh, foolish people are not always evil, they're just stupid. Now, for some of you, stupid is a bad word in your household, so don't use it, all right? I'm trying to say like the dictionary term. 
right? It's stupid it, when the Bible uses it is trying to say ignorant. You don't know what you're doing. You're making bad decisions and there's a bunch of reasons why. So when I say stupid, that's really what I mean. I mean, in its actual meaning. And, and the reason why this is so important is that we tend to read the Bible and say, well, it's this category or this category. So we say things like there is wise and there is foolish, just like there is good and there is bad. The problem with that is not all fools are bad people. And if you think they are, you won't realize you're one of them. Y'all following me? Okay, because if you keep going, oh, that's somebody that has a bad heart, you're going to go, I don't have a bad heart, I can't be a fool. No, you can have an awesome heart and be a fool. And the question is probably not, am I a fool? It's to what degree am I a fool? You understand what I'm saying? Because there's, there's foolishness in there. Let me give you an example on what I mean by, by being a fool. I mean someone that makes bad decisions, someone that's impulsive, someone self-deluded. Someone ignorant, someone refusing to listen or learn, someone disobedient, someone rebellious. This is what I mean. We wouldn't normally put them in a classification of that's a bad person. That's a wicked, morally impure person. They're just people. So to what degree are we foolish? He said, when you are wise, it comes from a deep place. When you're a fool, it comes from a deep place. So here's one of the challenges. We have an extraordinary ability to self-delude. We don't even know we're a fool. We've convinced ourselves we're not a fool. And we have a million things in our lives to reaffirm that we're not a fool. But we are. Let me, let me give you a, an analogy, just kind of a, a modern technology analogy that I've used once before. Do you all realize that what you look up on the computer is not random it is filtered and tailored for you. Do you know this? Okay, now I know I've shared this before, so I'll go through it very quickly. Search engines, Google, stuff like that, are trained to track all your information. Everything you search, every uh, news story you click on, it keeps a record of that in order to give you more of the same. Now, the problem with that is that it all, it will eventually filter out to only reinforce the exact same beliefs. So if you feel a certain way about an issue, you'll click on that because that looked interesting to you. It then sends you a bunch more like that and you only have one opinion coming through your computer. Now, that's never been in history. We've always tried to do it because here's the deal. There's a reason why your friends are your friends. If somebody was constantly disagreeing with you, you wouldn't hang out with them. So we've always filtered our world so that we get um, feedback to believe the same thing we've always believed. But now it is done under the guise of randomness. Oh, I just happened to click on this story. Oh, that's funny. You know, man, the world must be really going in a bad place because I keep seeing stories like this. That's not random. It's all tailored and filtered for you on what you clicked on last time. Now, that is a challenge because we're never having pushback from another perspective. We just reaffirm and reaffirm and reaffirm, and then we think everybody thinks that way. All right, so my whole point in saying all of that is that when you are foolish, usually you don't know it. Everyone else does. Now, 
Reputations are almost always incorrect. However, they are a good indicator to find out what other people think. And if there is a gap between what other people think you are and what you are, either you have a PR problem and people don't really know you or you really don't know yourself. You understand what I mean? When we're talking about foolishness, you may not know that you're a fool. So how should we ever find out? Good friends. Wise counsel. You have to soundboard it off somebody else. You have to say, listen, am I looking at this wrong? Now, they have to be trusted. They have to be real friends. Because here's the thing, there will be a bunch of leadership books and they'll say stuff like, you need to surround yourself, you can't surround yourself with yes men, you gotta surround yourself with everybody that busts your chops all the time, you gotta surround yourself, I think that's a terrible idea. I remember hearing Chuck Swindoll say, man, every time I hear that advice, it's just stupid. You know how hard it is already to be in leadership? You know how discouraging it is? What I don't need is a bunch of people sitting around telling me there's problems. I know! Wisdom isn't seeing the problem. Wisdom is knowing the solution. Everybody knows the problems and you think you're brilliant because you can see what's wrong. Everyone can see what's wrong. A fool can see what's wrong. A wise person knows what's right and how to get there. That's what we're ultimately looking for. But when you have someone that can bring correction into your life, if they love you and they're a friend, they know how to deliver the information. It's not just that you know the information, it's how do you share the mail. Because there's certain things you will receive and certain things you won't receive, a friend would know the difference. But we need someone in our lives to say, hey, I'm seeing a pattern of foolishness here, and it's not looking good on you. I just want to talk to you about it. You know what I mean? So, a couple other things. He said this. And these all seem very random. They're actually not. This is all about making choices. Verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, you're like, what are you talking about? If your boss or leader blows up on you, everybody here has got an authority, right? Some of you are sitting next to her. You know what I'm saying? All right. Everybody's got an authority in their life. I want you to think about your boss at work, whatever it is. Somebody, you all got authority. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, don't leave your place. Don't quit and walk away. Why? For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. I need you to be patient and sort it out. Because if you quit and walk away, it's all going to turn bad on you. There is an impulsiveness of us wanting to blow up and be offended. And I know I've shared with you a ton of my own garbage, right? Well, I'm just going to dump more on you now. Is You guys are some of the cheapest therapy I've ever had. So I'm going to, the more I can dump on you, the less I have to worry about it, right? Uh, and I think I shared this with you before, but I had my intercessor team pray over me to really work on and submit to the Lord my defensiveness and my overreaction to people. And the reason why, it's not that I don't feel justified in what I get mad about. I feel very justified. The problem is it doesn't befit a man of God. And if you overreact and blow up at somebody, it always bites you. It never goes well. Because after you have napalmed them, after you have completely incinerated them, 
then all of a sudden it all dumps back on you. It doesn't make you feel as good as you hoped it would. So here's the thing, the whole overreaction and kind of explosion and all that stuff. Now, I understand where it comes from. Y'all, I wrestle with this all the time. Why? Because I'm very passionate. Now, that is one of the reasons why you love to hear me teach. There's a reason why in my personality, how I love so strongly and that I believe very strongly, I'm hyper defensive over people. And the thing is, is that I always feel like I have to be Captain America and save everybody. So basically anyone I deem an enemy, they must be destroyed. You understand what I'm saying? Well, all that passion is beautiful and wonderful. But if it is not harnessed in submitting to God, then it's just going to blow up a lot of people and just make me look like an idiot. And so I was even praying about that, saying, Lord, how do I root that out? Because I don't like it about me. And this is what the advice you're getting from the word of God, which is, hey, when I know that they just offended you, I know that what they did really ticked you off and they blew up on you. You're like, who do you think you are? And blah, blah, blah. Be very careful and don't explode back. You got to cool down your engine, let the dust settle, then make some decisions. We do not make decisions in the heat of the moment. That is unacceptable for men and women of God. You all know what I'm talking about? All right, let's keep moving on. Nobody does. Okay, let's go. Let's go to verse five. That's not true. You nodded and I appreciate that. Here we go. He said, he said, uh, speaking of bad decisions, there is an evil or the way he says something seriously wrong that I have seen in this world under the sun. And as it were, it's actually an error that comes from the leadership. It's coming from the ruler. Basically, when a leader messes everything up, he said, here's what he tends to do or she tends to do. Verse six, folly is set in many high places. In other words, all the idiots advance. Right. And the rich who in his mind have become rich because they're wise and using their money wisely. The wise or the rich sit in low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Everything's upside down. When the leadership is bad, everything goes bad underneath them. Now. We kind of have this this Jesus hangover in the church, right? And where it's kind of like, hey, upside down leadership, that's good, you know, and down with the rich and yeah, with the poor, right? Okay, that's not at all where this guy's coming from. This guy is saying, listen, there's a reason why people are in the place they're in and practical wisdom will get you somewhere. If you're doing well in life, the idea is you put in the education time, you put in the wisdom decisions, you got yourself situated and you're following through and using your stuff wisely. So he's trying to say, listen, if all things considered equal, you should be in a place of power if things are going well for you. Because you've handled a little bit right, let's handle a lot of it right. You know what I'm saying? And so that's his viewpoint. And he goes, but when you got bad leadership, all that gets turned upside down. Now people aren't being hired and given positions because of merit and earning it. They're getting it because of backroom deals. They're getting it because of, oh, well, they're my friend or they're all these bad people are getting in power. And you're like, how is that working out? He said, yeah, that drives me crazy, too. You know, it's interesting because when you see somebody bad in power, you're like, I sure hope they're going to get good people around them. That is not likely. If they're an idiot, they're probably not going to have the wisdom to know. You understand what I'm saying about who to get around them? So we have to be very careful because it emanates outward. And he says, all right, let's talk a little bit more about decisions. Verse eight, he says something weird Four analogies. He who digs a pit will fall into it. 
and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. What? That's weird. Okay, commentators are split on this. One group of them, one half of them are like, well, obviously what he's saying is that no matter how much wisdom you use, accidents happen to everybody. So no, there is a limit to wisdom. I mean, you could go in and measure the wall and have all this stuff, but by the time you break it down, nobody knew that there was a snake hiding in the wall, and now all of a sudden you got bit. So you know what? You can do all the right things and bad stuff can still happen. The other side of commentators said, no, 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 no. What he's saying is you should have put in more prep. When you're a log splitter, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't saw off your own hand. When you're a guy quarrying rocks, the rock shouldn't fall on your head. When you break down a wall, you might want to check for snakes. So which one is it? Well, what I think is fascinating, I lean towards the whole, you need to prep because I think that's best in context, but I want to make a deeper point. I've been a counselor since I was little. My first memories are consoling or walking with people through hardship. My junior high years or my middle school years and my high school years were always counseling other kids. And so I've been a counselor my entire existence. So I've heard a lot of people share with me their challenges and pain and hurts, and I've had to walk them through decision-making processes, some of which were very significant and very difficult. And i got to tell you this. More times than I can count, I've had somebody come to me and say, Lance, the world is against me. And they would begin to mark out and blame everyone else in their life when I can clearly see they're a fool. They're always blaming other reasons for why everything happens and the whole universe is against them. And I go, no, your decision making is broken. Not everything just happens to you. Now, I have also had a handful of people in my life that were super wise and something happened to them they could have never avoided and they're beating themselves up about it. Where I'm going, hey, buddy, seriously, no one knew that was coming. You do not, you're not a failure. Bad stuff just happens to good people, right? I mean, there's both sides to this issue, but it's far more common that we would find every other reason outside of us why things are going bad for us. Let me just suggest this to you. If everything bad happens to you, it's probably you. And if it's everyone else's fault, it's probably yours. Okay, because statistically that's impossible. All right, so I'm going to be your wise friend that's going to tell you, hey, something's wrong with you. You're broken. Now remember, well, let's go back to foolishness. You may not have ever been trained or learned how to fix your sniffer. Right? Where you're going on instinct and you're figuring stuff out, but you have never been built in a process by which to discern truth and knowledge around you. So, for example, it is possible that every time if you choose a bad dude in your life, it's possible something's broken inside to where you would even give those guys the time of day. And so what we need to do is say, why is this occurring and how in the world are they getting through my defense system? I thought I had razor wire out there. Apparently I have a 
gate that you could drive a truck, you know, drive a truck through, right? I mean, that somehow our sniffer's broken. Let's say that there's, there's, there's somebody here that, that maybe you go, man, every time I try to get involved in a partnership, they always end up hurting me. Your sniffer's broken. You're not tracking on it ahead of time. You're not seeing it coming from a million miles away. That somehow deep, it doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you a terrible person. All it means is that the filtering system isn't set at its right parameters. And that leads us to make bad decisions. Here's what he says. He said, if the iron is blunt of an axe and one does not sharpen the edge of the blade... Well, then he has to use more strength, right? A dull axe, you have to chop forever. Sharp axe, that'll take that thing down. But wisdom helps one succeed. That's the simple work, smarter, not harder, right? But then he says this, this is funny. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Well, yeah, there you go. Anybody have a degree in snake charming here? No? Okay, so he just made two practical points of wisdom. The first one is preparation. What he said was, you got to sharpen the axe before you get started. But nobody wants to do that. Why? It's boring and lame. Nobody wants to put in prep. Prep feels like a waste of time. Okay, I got a bunch of trees I need to chop down today. So I want to get out and start chopping. I certainly don't want to sit in a room with some little spinny wheel with putting it with my foot and trying to sharpen this dumb little axe. Just let me get in there. I'm motivated right now. I will swing harder. I'll just get her done, right? That's foolish. I think about going back in my life, and I think about all the times that I resisted prep. Now, normally I'm a prep guy. That's like kind of in my nature, but there were certain times. One of those times for me was high school. In high school, I did not have a good high school experience because I was always looking beyond high school. I was always wanting to get out of there and do something. I start my life and do this and do that. And I didn't, I didn't put my heart there. And I regret it so much now. Because that was a prep time that I could have enjoyed more and I didn't. I just wanted to get out. That's not wisdom. That's foolishness. Why? Because if you put in more and more of the time, it sets a foundation for the next one. I remember about the fact... Now, it, it, I, I, nobody's surprised about what I'm about to say. I got through school a lot on charm as opposed to homework. Um, I, I got into um, algebra, and I was, I was not great, and I, and I didn't do a lot of homework. And then I ended up in geometry, uh, largely due to charm. And geometry, since it was so different than algebra, I could kind of f- you know, fake my way through that. And then I ultimately got to algebra 2, which needed to go off a foundation of algebra 1. <laughs> and there was no foundation. And I plummeted. And so the the bottom line is I wanted to keep moving forward and I didn't want to put in the hard work and the prep to get it done. But if you put in all the work, then the work itself comes out brilliant and a lot easier. Are we doing that? And why are we not if we're not? Hmm. Moves on. He says this, uh, the, the snake thing, the if a serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. If the first one was prep, the second one is don't rush it. Don't rush it. 
If you're going to prep, put in the time and keep going. Why? Here's how the snake charming thing works. You basically were a side street performer. So you try to gather a crowd around you. They would all put money in the hat at the end. So what you would do is you go, listen, I'm about to put myself in danger. And everyone goes, ooh, I'll watch that, right? So you get everyone all excited about that. And then you open up a basket and a snake pops out. And you're like, I will charm this snake and then I'll be able to grab him and all this stuff. All right. You want to rush that process? You're going to get bit. Because the snake is like, no, we are not on the same page. You need to do a whole lot of more bobbing and weaving. You got to do a lot more flute playing because I am not cool with you. I will not let you touch my head. I will bite your face. So no, do not rush that process. Because the minute he bites you, gigs up, right? Nobody, everyone's like, ah, that was cool. I'm not paying you. But anyway, and they'd walk away. It ruins your whole job. Yeah, there's certain things you just can't rush. Take your time. Let's get it done right the first time. Then he said this. He said, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. He blesses people and it rewards him back. But the lips of a fool eat him alive. They consume him. The beginning of the words of a fool's mouth is foolishness. He starts out ignorant and stupid, and by the end of the talk, it's just sheer evil madness. Self-delusion. A fool multiplies words. Boy, he talks a lot about what he doesn't know. Though no man knows what's going to be in the future, and who can tell him what will be after him and how it's going to work out, but he still keeps talking. The toil, even the work and efforts of a fool exhaust him because he doesn't even know the way to the city. He doesn't know how to get home. He doesn't know how to get to his job. Everything's hard because he's a moron. And therefore, everything's tiring. He's like, I don't want to do this because everything's hard. No, it's hard because you're not putting in the prep. It's hard because you never put in the education. It's hard because you're not listening to wisdom. It's hard because you want to be impulsive and just run with it. Do you all understand that in childhood development, there is a quantum leap in understanding when a baby realizes there's a world outside of them? You all know what I'm talking about? Because when a baby is first born, it is born with only an understanding of itself. So everything it sees, everything it engages with, it assumes that it all exists for baby. So whether it's like, hey, mama, she's mine. Hey, look, pacifier, that's mine. Hey, look, bottle, that's mine. Oh, look, dog, that's mine. And everything is about yours. There's no understanding that there's a world going on outside of them and that when they leave the room, they just simply cease to exist. And then, bloop, they show back up. Wow, that's weird, mysterious. It is a quantum leap when a baby realizes, hey, there's other stuff going on. There's other lives here and they're interacting with each other. And I need to figure out a way to interact with that. Have you noticed that a lot of people never emotionally make that quantum leap? (laughs) They all still think everything's about them. And they can't imagine that other people have lives. Right? That, That what he's trying to say is that, man, a fool starts out, but everything about it is bad. If we don't take time to learn wisdom, everything in life seems hard. And he goes, but whoa, 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 hold on, does it have to be? Because there's a lot of stuff we can do and make it easier. Hmm. Woe to you, O land. In other words, boy, nation, you're in trouble when your king is an immature child. Uh Uh-oh, when leadership's bad, it's not going to go well for the nation. 
and your princes feast in the morning. Now that means improper timing. They're ready to party before they've even done anything. They just get up in the morning like, whoa, yeah. Okay. And you're like, uh, dude, you didn't do anything yet. Okay. This whole, let's celebrate before we get started. No. Happy are you, O land and nation, when your king is the son of the nobility, meaning you have the history, the lineage, proper training for good leadership. And when your princes and leaders feast at the proper time and they're feasting and banqueting for strength as opposed to just for drunkenness. Okay, what's the point? Immature kings gather bad people around them and they do dumb things and it wrecks the nation. Right? We all know that. And we're like, yeah, I can think about a million examples of that, right? Let me, I, I, what if God's talking about you? What if you're, you're the leader? What if you're the influencer? What if you're the one and, and you're not handling it right? It has all these ramifications, but, but let's say you're not, let's say there is a boss or a leadership or an authority. We need good people in positions of leadership. And if you are not in charge of getting them there, you better pray to the one who knows who is, you understand what I'm saying? That that's why we must always be praying. The Bible says you got to pray for your leadership, pray for your authority, pray for your leadership, pray for your authority. Why? Because if there's good leaders in place, everything goes well. If there's bad leaders in place, everything becomes miserable. So we're either praying or fixing. That's what we do. And then he says this. Through sloth or laziness, the roof sinks in. Through indolence or laziness, the house leaks. Man, if we're not getting our stuff done because we're either selfish or we're off task, stuff falls apart. You got to be up on stuff. You can't just let everything fall away. And so let me ask us this. Why are we putting off what we're putting off? Is it because it's boring to us and we don't want to do the necessary work? Is it because we've overcommitted? We got ourselves into a place that we could never support and we did it for good motives, but we can't follow up. Why are we not getting done what we're supposed to get done? Is it a character issue? Is it a time issue? Is it a leadership issue? What is it? And why aren't we getting it done? It may be that you need more quality people around you. There may be a million reasons why something is not getting done, but there's a reason. And if it is laziness or apathy, then shame on us that we're just not interested enough to get it done. But some of us, one of the wisest things you could possibly do is edit your to-do list and there's some things you shouldn't do. I mean, there's some of us out there and we're killing ourselves and God goes, I never asked you to do that. What are you doing? No, that's not on your to-do list. I never put that there. Stop it. No, you keep trying to people please. You keep trying to add stuff to your plate. You keep trying to say, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, no, you can't. So stop saying yes. Learn to say no. Well, then they won't like me. I know. But when you disappoint them, they don't like you either. You all know what I'm talking about? All right. Then he said this, and this is kind of weird, by the way. Bread is made for laughter or joy and wine gladdens life for fun and money answers everything. Put that on your fridge. (laughs) Right? What in the world? That's weird. Now, is he saying, yeah, a foolish person would say, and then he finishes that. Or is he saying, I'm telling you that. What do you think the answer is? Yes. Both. Why? Because both are true. And here's what I mean. 
he could practically say this in wisdom. He could say, hey guys, the whole bread thing, that is sustaining. God gives us resources to sustain us for our joy. We're actually supposed to appreciate and like and be thankful and live a life of gratitude when God provides for us. Man, we get stuff that helps keep us going. The fact that we had a meal today is actually a big deal and we should be thanking the Lord for it as opposed to going, man, it was oatmeal again. We should be able to go, man, this is awesome that I have a gift from God so that it would sustain my body so I can go to church, right? That's how God built it. And then wine was always designed as a celebratory thing going, man, I have put in all the hard work and now I want to feel better at the end of my meal than I did at the beginning of my meal. And therefore, there's an ability to enjoy some of the things of God. And ultimately, if we need money to get stuff done in this world, then we need to be wise, have a good work ethic, work really hard, make the money, put it into play in all the areas God gave us, and that will ultimately begin to solve everything else. That is practical wisdom. Is it true? Yes, it is. But what would a fool say? Same facts, different heart. Sounds like this. Man, everything I got, it's all for me. And here's the deal. God gave me resources. God gave me bread. I'm going to live it up. Whatever. Who cares about tomorrow? It doesn't matter. And as far as the wine stuff, there is stuff in this life that can make you feel awesome. So we're going to go ahead and do a whole bunch of that. And we're just going to screw up our lives. And whatever I wreck, I'll just fix it with money anyway. Hmm. Is that true? All depends on motive, heart, degree, stuff like that. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. God gives us things that are great and we wreck them. Because what he just gave you, bread, wine, money are neutrals. In the hands of a good-hearted person, they're brilliant. In the hands of a bad-hearted person, they're disastrous. So God gives us bread to sustain our bodies. We turn it into gluttony. God gives us wine to lighten our heart. We turn it into drunkenness. God gives us money in order to provide for our lives and our families. And we turn it into the love of money and greed. We're wrecking the good stuff. Stop it. He said, that's not the wise way to live. If we could just enjoy it and use it for what God gave it for. Awesome. And then he closes with this. He says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, your authority, your leader, your whatever it is, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich, the influential and powerful for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature will tell the matter. Don't slander your leadership. They're going to find out and it's not going to go well for you. Yeah, well, I'm just I'm saying it in my own private no, you're not. It always gets out. Just being at church as leadership in a church, you know how much stuff I know? I know stuff you know. You don't know I know. What I'm saying is someone's going to out you. And like I've been trying to say the whole time, either you're going to out yourself your friends are going to out you. Why? Because they're well-intentioned. They have good hearts. They just don't have tight lips. You know what I mean? 
So either you're going to out you, they're going to out you, the devil's going to out you to divide, or God's going to out you to bring it to the surface, right? Let's, I just want to keep saying that. Oh, it's going to get out. Oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to process with my spouse. Oh, okay. So you're going to go in and complain and, 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 and say this to your spouse and then they're slimed. Who are they going to process with? You just want to process one way. So then they got to go pick one person and they got to go slime them. And then they have to go pick one person and they're going to go slime them. And ultimately it gets all the way around. It's getting out. If we don't deal with it in here with the Lord, if we don't deal and get it fixed, ultimately it's going to leak. And we just need to recognize that. And I want to tell you, especially in the areas of anger, wrath, bitterness, frustration. Why? Because those gases expand outwards. Those bad feelings and thoughts are not just going to sit quietly. They're going to push outward and they're going to get out. If you don't give them a proper way to get out, they're coming out somehow. And it will come out in a look. It will come out in an attitude. It will come out in a comment. It will come out in body language. It's coming out. You can either decide to deal with it or it's going to decide to deal with it. But somehow, some way, it's coming out. Well, I'm just going to stuff it deeper. You can't. You're a leaky vessel just like me. Things aren't as locked down as you think they are. So how do we deal with them? How do we how do we clean that stuff up? How do we purify that out? How do we get that away? That's what the Lord is really, really good at. But you've got to be willing to do it His way. So here's how I want to close. Can I have the prayer team come on up? Here's how I want to close our time together. There are some things you don't need to take home from church. There are some of us here that God brought today that we have baggage on our backs, on our shoulders, on our heads. And God wants to cut it off and leave it here. We have a prayer team up here and I'm going to pray that they are anointed by God to just look at you, smile at you, lay a hand on you, pray for you, and it would fall away. I'm going to pray that even if they're busy praying with somebody else, that this altar up here is anointed space. So you can come up here and pray before the Lord, before you go home and say, God, this stuff is killing me. I am so angry. I am so frustrated. I don't know what to do with this. I can't process. I can't figure this one out. And Lord, I'm tired of carrying it. I need you to teach me and allow me to forgive. God, everywhere that I can, I want to give it over to you. I want to say, I forgive that person. I want to, re- I want to release the anger. Because here's what I don't want, my friends. I don't want it filling up your car. I don't want it waiting for you when you get home. I don't, you know what I mean? It's been haunting you and hunting you for years. Maybe today's the day we leave it. Maybe today's the day we let God in and we let the Holy Spirit say, you know what? I've been waiting for you to tell me that. I'm good at taking out the garbage. So when we get done with this service, the altar is open. If you want to come up and you want to pray, we've got a team ready for you. 
But here's what I don't want. Don't take it home. Let's begin the process of healing and freedom right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are good and Your way is best. And Lord, somehow along the way, either we violated somebody and we have regret or they violated us and we're livid. But God, we can't get past it. And every time it hijacks our praise, it hijacks our joy, it hijacks everything. It keeps wrecking our fun. It keeps messing up our day-to-day life. And Lord, we believe that you know how to get rid of it. So I am just asking, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint all the way across the front of this church as a symbolic altar before you. That, Lord, we could go up there and leave our burdens and walk away. That, God, you are the expert. If you're the expert, we can hand it to you and not worry about it, not pick it back up. But, Lord, if there is forgiveness that needs to be given, if there is something we need to process, if there is something we need prayer over, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would draw us forward knowing that you know how to remove it out of our lives, that if you can't get it all out in one day, can you start the process today? So, Lord Jesus... Would you cleanse us? Would you snip all those straps holding up that tremendous weight of bricks of regret and pain and frustration and just let it fall? That as we emerge from this place, we emerge lighter. We emerge freer. We emerge more joyful. And we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.